Hello, and thank you for joining us for How Have You Not Seen, a movie podcast where we fill in the gaps in each other's cinematic knowledge by asking important questions like, you still haven't seen, but I'm a cheerleader, or... The Road Warrior? Never. Or... How have you not seen Akira? again and thank you for joining us for this week's episode of how have you not seen i'm your host caroline thompson hey there i'm carson Vance. and this is a movie podcast where each week we pick one of our favorite movies that the other hasn't seen we talk about it then we go and watch the movie and then we talk about it some more it's gonna be a really good time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so thank you guys again for joining us um carson we are back yes, and after um talking about after talking about the road warrior last week we have another um movie that is famous for uh vroom vroom cars uh well vehicles really not really cars actually but um this week we are talking about the film akira and i just want to say for everyone listening at home uh before we get too far into this um we are stupid silly american people with stupid silly midwestern american accents so we are going to probably say akira for the for the duration of this show instead of the the more correct pronunciation slash emphasis of akira that they um do in the film it's one of those things where um i feel almost uh like a bigger i I feel almost more pretentious and more offensive if i feign a you know feign a bit of an accent than to just say it with my horrible sounding midwestern nasally akira so um for those of you listening at home we are aware and um i just uh anyway (laughs) moving on so carson let's just go ahead and jump right on into it how have you not seen akira Mm. uh we've we've discussed this before i am not an anime boy. I'm a Western lad. I love cartoons. I've primarily only watched Western cartoons. Uh, and that's pretty much the long and the short of it. Except, okay, except for like every Miyazaki movie. But that's, you know, that's that's a relatively new development. Right. But yeah, I mean... Wait, I, 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 lo- I want to interrupt you really big... quickly and just say, not every sure. Miyazaki movie. Wink, wink. Go on. Not every Miyazaki movie, hint, hint, wink, wink. Not everyone, but the vast majority. Um, and I know, like, I know that this thing is is maybe, like, maybe the anime movie of the last, other than, like, we did Spirited Away last last season, other than, right. like, that, maybe. Like, this is up there. This is one of, like, the tip-tops right. of the form. Um, and also, one of the ones that people tell me all the time, like, look, if you, like, I get it, you don't like whatever the weird trappings of most anime that's not what this is this is a you know this is a very complex work of art um but yeah i just haven't seen just never never made a never made a thing of it never really tried to watch it yeah okay cool um well with that with that being said um what do you know about akira what do you know about this movie 
yeah, I feel like I know a decent amount because I, I know it's about, I don't know if like he's the main character. Maybe he's just kind of like the, the MacGuffin. Like he's sort of the, the central plot driver maybe. But it's, there's a boy named Akira and it's about like, like street gangs, like poor street gangs and like future cyberpunk Japan, like maybe future cyberpunk Tokyo. Um, and there is, as you said, driving on like motorcycles and stuff and there's cyberpunk things and Akira has like powers, right? He's got like psychic powers. So this is a, that's a good question that we can, um, that we can kind of parse because I didn't want to just like interrupt you, but the main character's name is not Akira. So, um, is there a character named Akira? Yes. Okay. Well, you'll you'll see. You'll see. But um so Okay. There is an entity, there is a character called Akira, and that and Akira does have a bunch of powers. The main character is not named Akira and does not have any like cool superpowers, psychic powers or anything like that. Okay. So, yeah. So I'm at like 50%. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. cool. And, that's fine. Uh, yeah, it does uh, take place in, I mean, you'll you'll see, it takes place in Neo-Tokyo. Neo-Tokyo is very cool. I do like that. That's a cool name. That's a pretty cool name. Uh, other than that, the only thing I know, I know like Taiki Waititi is always in talks. You know, there's always kind of the rumor that like he's accepted he's going to do the live action American remake of Akira, which... I haven't seen it, but based upon what I've seen about it, it really seems like, I, I don't know. You, you tell me, and also let me go see the movie, but that this movie doesn't seem really goofy enough for Taiki to adapt, but I don't know. Yeah, knows? and I mean, cool. I mean, the whole, the whole, the American Akira slash um, live action Akira thing has been talked to death online. Um it has been something that mm-hmm. people have been saying is going to happen for like 25 years. And um, everybody who has any even passing like interest or admiration for this movie is pretty much like, no, don't do it. Don't fucking do it. Like that's a, a horrible idea. Yeah. It's a terrible uh, idea. Yeah. Like aesthetically, uh, I mean, you know, it's not that you can't do anything in live action, but like, the animation, the art style is a very important part of this movie. And not only that, but, um, and we can kind of get into this in the back half. Cause I have a lot of notes about this, but the, the, the fact that it is a work of Japanese art is incredibly important to this movie. Um, so I mean, mm. The idea of like Taika Waititi, I, I I like him. I actually just started watching What We Do in the Shadows, the the TV show, like literally yesterday, and it's <gasps> it's, it's very it's so good. good. Um, I like a lot of his films that I've seen. I yeah. think that he himself is like a delightful person. I nothing against his talent. I don't think he is the right person to remake Akira, but maybe he has a take. I don't know. And like, of course, um. There's the there's the famous like Harry Partridge American Akira cartoon from like 15 years ago, um, that's like on YouTube. That's like extremely, like that's the best. That's the best joke you're ever gonna get out of it. So like, 
it's it's mm. been in the ether for a while, but it's not anything that I think it is ever actually going to happen, maybe, although Taika might get through. It would be I, a bad idea you know, for him to get look, it pushed you through. Told but... me... Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I I love Taika. He can do whatever he wants, but yeah, I don't know. If it's a particularly Japanese thing, if you have a, a Maori Jewish New Zealander director making a movie for an American audience, ah, yeah, it might get, that could get weird. I could see that getting really weird. Yeah. So anyway, um, is there anything else you know about this movie or that you think you know about this movie? Mm, no, I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, then we are going to um, go ahead and move into the game. Woo. And this week, this week we are going to be playing a classic on the show, which I actually think weirdly is the first time we've done it this season. Um, but we are going to be so. playing. We are going to be playing two truths and a lie. So, uh, for those of you at home listening who might not be familiar, say you've never done a uh, corporate icebreaker or like a first day at summer camp and aren't familiar with the um, the game Two Truths and a Lie, I am going to provide Carson with three statements. Two of them are going to be true. One of them is going to be false. Pretty self explanatory. He's going to try to guess which one is the lie. So, Carson. Are you ready? Mm. Oh, yes. Okay. So the first fact is that this is the first feature-length anime film where the dialogue was recorded before they did the animation and they matched the animation to the dialogue and not vice versa. Oh, weird. Okay. The second fact is that Akira was not going to get an American dub or an English dub to be released in America, I guess I should say, um, and was not going to be distributed in America until American fans of the manga did a letter-writing campaign to get it um, released in the United States. Okay. And the third fact is that Akira is one of only three animated films to, be, uh, to have been released on the Criterion Collection. Okay, pretty good, well-constructed game because the first one seems insane. Like, so insane that I'm like, it has to be true because, like, everything I know about animation is that you, like, it makes no sense to record the audio first because then that really limits what you can do in animation. And also, like, the Japanese, a thing I know about anime is that, like, they don't care nearly as much about getting the, vocal stuff matched up like that's something that western animators try to do more huh so that one's like weird enough that i feel like it has to be true the second one just makes to i mean I, that one is that one is almost so obvious that i feel like it has to be the lie because it's just that just makes sense as a thing that would happen that it wouldn't get an american really um but then the third one is just like yeah i could see that that would make sense sure I'm going to say, I'm going to say the second one. I'm going to lock in my answer. I might regret it, but that's, that's what I'm going to say. Second one's the lie. Okay. And, um, you would be correct. Oh, so, boom. Yeah. Achoo, so, achoo, um, achoo, 
Oh yeah. So yeah, uh, it is what is a what had been for a long time a pretty standard practice in Western animation, which is recording all of the dialogue first and you know, uh drawing the film to fit the dialogue so that the lips match up perfectly. Uh this was the first um this was the first anime film, the first feature length anyway, anime film to do that. And then the other two fully animated films that have been released on the Criterion Collection are uh, Watership Down and The Fantastic Mr. Fox and Akira, that, which okay, was released, I believe, I believe Akira has <laughs> only been released on Laserdisc. So it's probably time for a uh, time for a re-release Criterion, but. Laser. Oh yeah, that was the first. That oh, was the first God. huge medium uh, Criterion broke into. There's so many. There's so many Criterion That's movies bizarre. only available on Laserdisc. Weirdly enough, the Criterion. The Criterion people are fucking on something. Yeah. I swear to God. It's doing doing. They're up to something sketchy uh, in that right. closet. Well, <laughs> they are. <laughs> they got Paul Dano locked in here, and he's uh, he's <laughs> doing his dark deeds. Oh man! All right. Well, I'm excited. Let's go watch this thing. We are back. We're back. Vroom, vroom. Vroom, vroom, <laughs> shoot, shoot. We're back. We sure are. Uh, Carson. Yes. Let's just jump into this here. Um, okay. Give me your thoughts. Give me your first impressions. Um, It's it's like, I don't know. I need to, I'm okay. It's good. It's really good. I mean, like, I get why it is such a seminal work in... I don't know if you would call anime a genre or a form, such a, a seminal work of the form, yeah. um, both because it is just this like, I mean, it's this very artistic piece. It is very deep. It's a very rich text. There's clearly a lot going on in it. So much so that I'm like, okay, I think I need to watch this like two more times to really get a handle on it. Right. Um, and and also just because like I watched that thing and knowing how early it came out and and again not we've talked about it not that I'm like super well schooled on what like anime is now uh, but watching that shit I was like oh that's why Dragon Ball Z is like that that's okay that's why their you know their hair is like that and they kind of make those faces it's because they're all just doing Akira okay. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's really good. But my I I feel like I feel very weird going into this conversation because I almost feel as though I have nothing to say because again I'm like I I just there's so much I I cannot parse it. I need to see, I need to see it like another two times I think to like really get my hooks into it. Gotcha. No, yeah, and I mean this is one that I watched. I think I so I. I watched it before we recorded the first part. And in the mm-hmm. interim, I actually watched it twice. I watched it once oh. with the sub and once with the dub. Sure. Um, just because, like, you know, um, we talked about this last year when we did Spirited Away, but I don't know. I The the dub versus sub debate is um, ever raging in the anime, yeah. like, community. And I um, not really being of... You know, not really being somebody who's super versed in that myself, 
I personally, most of the time find myself not really caring. Um, so I watched both. I liked him both. I watched this movie obviously for the first time with a dub, like the first time I had ever seen it. Um, but yeah, so I, I watched the sub this time and it is one that I think requires, I don't know. You do have to think about it quite a bit. Um, well, yeah, I mean, let's just hop into it. I mean, you, you mentioned, um, kind of how much this movie kind of advanced the form. And one thing that struck me the first time I ever watched this movie within the first five minutes, I remember thinking like, what is different about this animation? Um, It was one of those things that like, I'm not, I'm not an anime fanatic. I'm not even like an animation period fanatic. Um, Mm -hmm. So like I was watching it and I'm like, this is already like something I've never seen before. And so I actually looked it up um, because the thing that I wrote, the thing that I kind of like thought about is I'm like, I'm like, it's kind of goopy. Like everything it's real in this movie goopy. is very fluid yeah. in a way that like, it isn't just, it isn't just um, like, it isn't like a, how do I even phrase this? Like, it's not even just that like, it's more fluid than most other cartoons and anime, but it really does have this quality where um, the things just move ever so slightly. And there isn't a, a hyper attention paid to making sure um, things stay the same exact like size and shape in the frame you know, like as the people and like vehicles and things move, they kind of all sway just ever so slightly. And I actually looked up that this is um, one of the few animes, um, probably especially uh, back then, that um, is actually done in 24 frames per second, which I think has a lot to do with it because most most big anime uh, films, according to the internet, um, are done in 12 frames per second. Um, and even some still like ones for TV and ones that, you know, have even less of a budget. Some even go as far as, uh, as far down as eight. Technically speaking, it is a film that jumps out at you right away. Um, and that's not even to then get into that opening kind of montage, um, of Neo Tokyo that is, you know, so bright and like the, the design is very intense and very in your face and like nothing you've ever seen before. And like the shot style, like the way they frame their shots and like the content that they're even drawing, like the, the imagination behind like what this city even is, um, is all very striking. So it's, it is a movie that kind of assaults your senses in a way, like right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the opening couple minutes, obviously it goes, The very opening I fucking love, the like from Neo Tokyo and then the panning down, down, down into the bar. And you just, I mean, so much of this shit is gonna, like images from this movie are going to be so perfectly burned into my mind. And I wonder, because, you know, I did my small amount of research on this one, just knowing that it was adapted by the author of of a manga who, that's another crazy thing. I look, the manga is much longer than the movie. Like this was a, a, 
highly shortened adaptation, which makes sense because right. there's so fucking much going on. Like there's right. every second there's like a wait, what? Like, okay, how many different biker gangs are there? Like, why is there like it seems like we should have more scenes with this like fucking whatever the supreme fascist council that rules the country is or whatever but like but and i I wonder if the fact that it was adapted by its own author has something to do with just how fucking iconic so many of the looks in this movie are both in terms of individual character designs and also certain frames like it really does feel like somebody took a pass at something and then really took their time to take a pass at it again to get things exactly right because that first shot of canada um you know at the at the the what what is it a pinball machine he's playing some kind of game yeah and just that i mean the red outfit fucking rules like that first shot of him from behind is just like oh yeah cool guy fucking coolest guy in the universe look at his cool red outfit and then he gets on like an equally badass cool red motorbike i do then like the twist of that i'm just kind of going i'm just again i can't no, with please, nothing to say i am just uh uh, uh free associating here but the, I do like the twist of Canada, how he's introduced as the coolest motherfucker of all time. And then you realize fairly quickly that he's kind of a goofus. Like, yes. and yes. I, again, I, my very limited knowledge of most, you know, especially television anime nowadays, I feel like my guess based on what little I know is that that is sort of a trope now. Like you have these heroes who are, simultaneously really iconic and really slick but also are 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 dummies i mean i it's goku he's goku like i i i have seen a lot i don't know if i said this in the first half but i have seen a fair amount of dragon ball z when i was a child like that's goku that's what's another one i've seen that's fucking ash from pokemon you know like that's that is that kind of character type um and i think the reverso on this works so well because he's I don't know. Also then just, okay, let me round this up. Let me recollect my thoughts here. Yeah. The first half of this movie, I felt for the most, I I appreciate, like the animation was fucking beautiful the entire time. It looked fantastic. Like I immediately was like, oh shit, I dig this cyberpunk aesthetic. Like I I looked, I mean, this movie comes out six years after Blade Runner and it's also doing a, you know, a, a, a visualizing the previously just kind of written and imagined cyberpunk world of the future. And it's doing it in like an entirely different way. And like, I feel like a lot of cyberpunk now is still behind this thing's aesthetic. Like it, it's doing some really cool stuff. But despite all that, the first like half of this movie, I felt like so fucking alienated from everything that was going on. Like I was just utterly confused. <laughs> for most of it um which again i wonder if part of that's in the manga maybe you have a little bit more time to like sit with these characters and and integrate yourselves into their into their lives a bit more um but ultimately it works out because once you kind of get to that midway point tetsuo's fully unleashed and he's just doing his shit and everything's on the table you know all the pieces are set up it is just like utterly riveting from fucking from then on like to the end i was just like i i was glued because it's 
I mean, it's, it's fucking crazy. It's insane. It's just like every second, a new, a new wild thing happens. And you're just like, wait, he can't do that. Can he? Oh, he can. Okay. Wait, how are they going to stop him? Uh, are they going to stop him? Wait, there was a long period for the end of this movie where my thought was like, wait, is this movie just going to be fucking like end dark as shit? Like, is it going to just end on an absolute down note like are they just going to have to blow him and the entire city up in order to like stop his ascent to like demonic godhood and that's kind of what i thought was going to happen right up until the very end of the movie honestly yeah yeah because it is i mean even again blade runner uh, one of my favorite movies uh, utterly you know dark noir inspired cyberpunk tale is way more hopeful than this and that's kind of a crazy thing to say because the blade runner i mean we now have two blade runner films but blade runner films are not i guess the last one ends pretty hopefully 2049's got a pretty hopeful end but they are grim dark as all fuck like they are about worlds in which humanity like you know humanity's screwed and doomed and the question is just how long are we gonna last and like this movie makes blade runner look like a walk through the meadow like it it is so just cynical (laughs) yeah yeah like it is it is tough as nails yeah especially the end yeah well and i mean i think that i think that's very um i think that's all very important and i mean my read on this film um we're kind of pinging back and forth between a few like things that I think coalesce when you recognize that this is a film made in 1988. This film comes out 43 years after the end of world war II. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I think when you, when you make the blade runner comparison, blade runner is an American film. It's very much about these individuals. It's very much about, um, it's very much about like, okay, well, when the world goes to shit, what do like you do? You know what I mean? Or like, what do like these few people do where, I mean, this movie really is about the city, you know I mean? Like Canada yes. is, Canada is probably this, the this main movie? character. Yeah, but I mean, maybe. They're all, they all share a lot of screen time. I mean, even like, even like the army general, like he, he has a lot of screen time and really he does more in this he like does more and affects more change yeah. throughout the story than really like Kaneda does. Um, and, you know, I think when you like, I mean, one thing that is so striking, you mentioned how striking visually this film is. And I mean, I feel like, you know, you could, you can really make the argument that just about every frame in this, you know, you could be like, Oh my God, but like, remember that shot? Like that is such like a beautifully like done, like there's mm-hmm. nothing done lazily in this. Everything is done. Um, in a way that's very heightened and very, 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 um, like meticulous, like with Mm -hmm. the framing and all that. But I mean, the very first thing you see in the film, it says, um, like Akira, I believe it says that the Akira committee presents and then before the opening titles, before like the director's name, before anything, before anything begins, it just cuts to a shot of Tokyo being annihilated. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think it's pretty safe to say that a lot of this film is wrestling with what the fuck do we do now that we realize, you know, there are powers on this earth and we could easily be one of them that can just 
wipe us off the face of the map. Like we can just do that. So like, what do we do and what does our society do kind of in the shadow of that? And I think it's, I think that it, what kind of what you're speaking to about how, um, just about how like, how dark and how bleak so much of this movie is, is because it is kind of wrestling with those questions, you know, about in the wake of these things, it's like, if you know, you will slide, you can easily slide into fascism if you say like, I mean, yeah. And it's, and it's so much about the society at large, which is another thing that I think is really like impressive about this film, but also is very oppressive is how much propaganda is just all over like i i truly believe um pretty much if you were to go through this film especially the first half there is either military or government propaganda like literally in every shot yeah um or an advertisement and i mean especially in a movie uh, in an animated movie when you're drawing it i mean that is the 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 effort it takes to make sure something like that happens is astounding yeah um and i mean it it really does you know uh in in much the same way that new york is a always a character in her own films it's like it really is like this film is about this city yeah and like this society see i was a big dumb dummy and everything you said i was just like oh shit that makes perfect exact sense i for some reason watching it i did not even i i didn't i didn't put together the nuclear the nuclear aspect of the movie and and now having you unlocked that very obvious fact for me a lot of it makes not i don't know not more sense it's not like the plot like the mystery of the plot is resolved but in terms of the film's motivations that does seem so key yeah. And I mean, you know, it's one of those things too where um weirdly I was just ranting about this on Twitter today, the day that we're recording this, but it's like sure. um you know, uh the the current discourse today on Twitter is like is the matrix a one-to-one trans allegory about like, you know, is it a sure. one-to-one direct allegory or is it just that like you know, the writers and directors were grappling with these problems themselves. And this is how, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, when they make a film about like identity and society, like, does it just manifest itself in a way that's very easily lends itself to like a trans reading? And like the question, like my answer to this question is always like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it doesn't matter if Lana Wachowski sat down and was like, okay. So like, uh, (laughs) His name is Morpheus because he's going to teach you how to morph your body. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it, it doesn't matter. It's the fact that, like, you can read these things. And not only that you can read these things into these works, but the fact that they cement in in the popular culture in that time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, like, I'm not here to say, like, 100% necessarily because I, I truly don't know for certain if like the writer director of this, like the writer of the manga, the the people who are making this film are like, okay, so we are going to make a film about nuclear war. But I mean, it really certainly it's, does feel like it. Bla- <laughs> and I, I mean, mean especially too, because by the time this film was created, the manga was already 2000 pages long, which yeah. is like, that's a fuck 50 issues, I think like something That's like a that. lot. 
Yeah. Um, so like, you know, it's, it's probably 50 to a hundred issues long. So like this story had been going for a while and, you know, I think in much the same way that like, you know, it's, it's almost a joke at this point. It's almost a joke at this point, but like how every superhero film nowadays ends with just like a thousand 9-11s at once happening. Yeah. And like, and like that's perfectly traceable back to 2001. Like you watch the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man and he's saving a fairy full of children. Yeah. You know, you look at the, um, you look at the Christopher Reeve Superman and he's saving the world from like whatever, like a guy taking it over. And then as soon as you cross that threshold in American culture of 9-11, it becomes okay. Like what is like, what's the most horrifying thing we can imagine? Oh, what if it was uh, viewing, uh, viewing our enemies, destroying our city brick by brick in excruciating detail that we get to see. And like, we see all of that. It's like, gee, like, I wonder, like, (laughs) I wonder where that fear got lodged into our deep primal subconscious from. Yeah. As compared to, in the case of this film, the fear is what if something, what if, what if like a bunch of scientists create a thing and they don't mean it to be, you know, a world ender and it just is. And once it's created, you cannot stop it. It's, right. it's going to swallow literally your entire world. Yeah. In and an I instant. Think, and I think too, um, we can talk about this as well, but I think that a big, I think that less, I think you're like 99% there. I think the only distinction I would make is that it's not even like, what if they like found something that could be a world ender? I think it it is kind of that thing where the ultimate power, like searching for ultimate power will always lead to your own destruction. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I mean, I think that, exactly, exactly. And I think that tracks for most of the characters through the film, but I do think it is that thing that no matter your desire, like, you know, no matter if it's your desire to do good or your desire to save life, once you unlock, you know, the ultimate power, so to speak, like you're, you're done for. Yeah. Um, and like, there's no way for you to do that without becoming oppressive totalitarian regime, you know, or in the case of like the more micro level, like if you're Tetsuo, like, it manifests itself as like you literally become something that you're entirely not. And you become this, you know, you become something else like literally consumed by like the power and like the evil that is having that power, even though you don't seek it necessarily for evil reasons. I mean, Tetsuo didn't really seek it at all, but once he was given it, all of those, you know, all of the, sort of um like latent desires to be bigger than he is and be stronger than he is like like fully take over even though he wasn't looking for it even though he didn't even ask for it he was just granted it yeah and the (laughs) and i mean it's not like literally the text of the film but i do think certainly it's there metaphorically is that like because there is a lot and i'm again i'm certain like in the manga there's maybe a lot more backstory and discussion about this but you know, one of the things they're talking about is just like, oh, the ultimate, you know, the whatever, the ultimate power of fucking crazy psychokinesis that these children have. You know, it's it's like, 
<laughs> we don't know where it come fr comes from. It's the secret of the of the origin of the universe. It is like the center of the Big Bang or whatever. And like in the case of Tetsu, it seems that like the foundation of that power is just like childhood trauma. It's just like, you know, kind of, it's like the formation of his own negative self-image and like the negative the negative aspect of his ego is like, Per, not just the reason that the power takes him over but like perhaps the origin of it you know like and, and it's literally like like you said he's consumed by literally the end of the movie is like his his body his self loses he loses control of it and it consumes him and everything in a gross fucking absolutely terrifying you know flesh mesh yeah. yeah. That so it's also okay. Just a, a side note, very like weird, creepy thing is that this movie takes place in 2019 and uh, the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, yeah, the Tokyo that Olympics. was wild. Yeah. That blew yeah, my yeah, mind. that's 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 creepy. It's really wild. Yeah, yeah. They're like the Tokyo Olympics, and everybody's like, "Don't have the Olympics in Tokyo," and I'm like, "Oh, they were only two years off." Shit. And also, theoretically, they were only one year off because it was supposed to be in 2020. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do do you y'all think that do you think that this movie taking place in 2019 was a uh like was that only accidentally a Blade Runner reference? That's a good question because something else there's another one that takes place in 2019 too. Um yeah, yeah. There's another like dystopian one that is also 2019. I don't think it's I don't think it's the first Mad Max. No, it's something. Or is it? Oh, it might be Back, Back to the, the Future's Future. Blade Runner 2049. Maybe it is 2019. I don't remember. Maybe. It's 2015. It's all like they're all kind of around that because Blade Runner takes place in 2017. And you can definitely imagine the weird shared universe where it's like, okay, well, in the East, they're dealing with that particular like cyberpunk fascist dystopia like dystopia and in the west we're dealing with this particular cyberpunk fascist dystopia <laughs> like they're just kind of flavored a little differently i mean it is interesting to me that like i mean literally the the colonel calls out he's like you're just oh, you're in the pocket of a bunch of stupid capitalists but like comparing this movie to blade runner there is a lot more as as much as like you said there are just advertisements out the wazoo the sort of oppressive hypercapitalism of Blade Runner 2049 does seem to be represented in this film more by an authoritarian government, which Blade Runner doesn't have as much. I mean, like the closest, the like most government oversight you ever hear of in those movies is the fact that the main character is literally right. a cop. And he's not even like a normal cop. He's like a <laughs> robot hunter. Right. Like, like, you know, he's kind of a, a very particular, well, yeah. you know? type um i i did a quick yeah. goog and uh it does look like blade runner took place or takes place in yeah. 2019 well, there you go well that that feels like it's got to be purposeful then yeah maybe um but then again maybe. then again too i mean we would have to look at the source material because blade runner is also an adaptation so which one was written first true but um true. but no i'm mean, question i think a thing that I was wrestling with in this movie um, is kind of that thing that like you're talking about how this one is more of an authoritarian government, whereas in Blade Runner, it's like hyper capitalism. Sure. 
I think I know what you're about to talk about. I'm glad we're talking um, about it. Keep going. I was just going to say that, like, it feels... A, a thing that I was wrestling with when watching this movie is, like, on the one hand, like, I think it's, you know, there's advertising all over the place. I mean, there's, like, his his bike is tricked out with, with like, advertisements yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. But it is that thing where, like, I kind of... I was kind of wrestling with like, oh, hey, how like dystopian is this? Because there's still all of these like businesses vying for people's money and they're still advertising products, which to me, you know, is because, you know, especially like in Blade Runner, it's like there's a ton of advertisements in Blade Runner, but Blade Runner is like a shanty town. You know what I mean? It's like everything is built on top of one another. And like this movie still has streets and like this movie still has buildings and like all that stuff. And... And I realized it's kind of. I was like, "Oh shit! Wait, no! I'm buying that propaganda. (laughs) Like, I'm buying the propaganda. Like, I'm seeing like, oh, like, come in, like, look at our giant neon cowgirl, like, walking, you know, billboard. Like, come into this bar. Like, come get all of this stuff." And I'm like, "Oh shit! No! Like, I am buying into the exact propaganda they're representing." Yeah, and it's because there's the. I kept thinking. during the the sequence when Tetsuo is like really like he's really starting to get to it and he's fighting the military guys just in the streets of Neo Tokyo which is I'm you know I'm always glad when I watch a movie and I go oh that's what Rick and Morty was referencing (laughs) okay got it um but that scene in particular I was like these are just kind of like normal streets this just looks like a city like a pretty, like, you know, a little bit futuristic, but futuristic for the 80s means about normal now. So, like, looks like a pretty normal city. But, yeah, I had that exact same thing the entire time I was watching where I was like, sometimes I'm like, this kind of looks, it's a little cyberpunk. And this is kind of like I said at the beginning, this is a particular cyberpunk aesthetic. I don't, and maybe it is more in Japan and more in other animes, but I have not seen this, as much as I have seen Blade Runner's cyberpunk just utterly ripped off like all over the place like people doing basically exactly Blade Runner I have not seen the Akira cyberpunk right aesthetic and nearly I mean, as like, much, you see the all. sun in the um, film quite frequently actually which yeah yeah which is generally crazy. a lot of our cyberpunk uh one of the key factors is oh no we did too many factories the sky is the, <laughs> the sky is black clouds now we it rains always and it never stops that's yeah it's either raining or snowing or it's in a desert if it's in 2049 yeah it's oh man uh this this movie is terrifying i've said it a couple of times already but this movie is legitimately fucking frightening it is the scariest movie i've ever watched for this show uh easily um the chill okay okay wait no i do know what i want to talk about another thing i want to talk about that is another like thing that i'm like uh i bet you if i watch this like two more times i might have a better idea of this the movie's like thematic relationship with the military is really interesting and i think it, it, i i'm not again it's the same thing we talked about in the paddington episode i'm not trying to like fucking leftist twitter the shit out of this but i do think it's interesting that like 
the colonel is a legitimately admirable figure and there are times in this movie in which the military is a a fairly admirable organization in comparison to the the the, the just horrifically ineffective authoritarian government like the moment in which the colonel essentially declares martial law in the city is a little bit of a fucking fist pumping moment it was pretty cool it was very surprising and i was like Yes, dude, this guy, fucking the colonel's the only person in the government that seems to have his head on straight. Like, he's the only one that can actually see what is going on here. So, like, yeah, good. I'm glad that his men did not just, you know, didn't, didn't, uh, didn't actually fire him and they continue to still listen to him. But I don't know. Maybe that's the same thing. I'm thinking now, especially you saying that given that the propaganda of the scenery sort of works on you. I wonder if it, there is a, a kind of similar effect happening with this film's relationship to the military in which it's like, yeah, when you let the world get this fucked up and like, I mean, the Colonel says it all the time. He's like, yeah, the city fucking sucks. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's horrible. Like it's being run poorly. Everyone in it is, is just the worst. Like, when when you organize your society such that it gets this bad, like, you know that it's that bad when you start looking at an authoritarian military regime that institutes a coup as a good thing. Like, it's, you know, probably not a great society if that's the thing that's happening and right. you want it to happen. No, I mean, that's a really good point. And I mean, I think that one of the things that helps that... Um, is the fact that you see throughout the film the power struggle that exists between, like, the military, um, the military, the scientists who work for the military, the government the military works for, and then also, like, the police of the city. Like, you see all of these forces kind of, like, tugging and pulling and vying for power, and, like, even though theoretically, like, theoretically, all of their goal is to create a safe, prosperous, beautiful Neo-Tokyo, but, like, they are all stepping on each other's toes constantly in order to to make that happen. And it does seem, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, maybe I think sociologically in the real world, we would kind of be splitting hairs to be like, well, like the city police are different than like, you know, the national government, you know, the national military wings. But like, I think yeah. in this movie, the very oppressive forces do seem to be the, um, like obviously, like you know, the the government officials who are saying like, no, 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 like like no, 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 you get a Sakura, you get no money for it, like figure that shit out, and also like yeah, like we're not going to give you any more money. Also, like we are going to like do the Olympics and like we're balancing like the budget and like we want to advertise us as like a you know we want to be seen on the world stage. Like our country and our city is yeah. so great like that we want to be seen on the world stage also like police make sure that like when you go out in the streets you fucking like put your boots on all of their necks because like we've got cameras coming through next week mm-hmm. you know and i also think to yeah, some extent yeah. to some extent like him being a general does kind of i don't know it's one of those things that it's kind of like in cop movies where it's like it's like, well, okay, if you want to do a movie about, like, chasing a murderer, like, and, like, you know, if you want to do a movie about a serial killer, like, it kind of has to be a cop, you know what I mean? Like, and we can, we can not yeah. necessarily, like, love the police, um, but still, like, yeah. you know, 
watch a film about like we can still watch the zodiac you know the movie about the zodiac um and i think to some degree it is um it is just kind of necessary to follow him as a character in order to like get you know the in order to get into the rooms where these things are happening you need somebody within those worlds but Yeah. yeah I mean, he is, he is framed as a pretty admirable character and they make a point to save him in the end. Yeah, yeah. He he makes it out, which was interesting to me. I kind of thought that he was going to go down uh, with the ship. Well, I mean, it does the thing. This movie does the thing, which is, it is always a very, I mean, like I said, the last half of the movie I loved because I just loved, I don't know, the world was already such shit that I just loved seeing how bad things, I don't, it was interesting to me to see how bad things could get in Neo Tokyo and just how people were reacting to it. Um, and this movie does the thing that like, you've read uh, The Dark yeah. Knight Returns, yeah. right? So something I like, and that book, I, I almost hate to invoke it because like it is post Snyder, it is, I don't know. Actually, post-Snyder, I feel like that book might have lost a little bit of esteem. It is very good. I think Batman Year One is a better Batman book and a better comic book, also by Frank Miller. And Frank Miller is a a crazy person now. He was also kind of a crazy person back in the 80s, but at least it was a way that, it was like in a way that was artistically compelling. But like, uh, similar work about a kind of like quasi-apocalyptic near future um that comes out of the 80s that is very i mean that book very much is about ronald reagan um but that book does the thing where it kind of equalizes the police and the government and also the criminals yeah like and this movie does the same thing like it it, like you're talking about the factions all stepping on each other's necks this is such like the biker gangs are at seem to like the biker gangs and the criminal element of the city seem to have as much of a grasp on the city as the government does at all. You know, it's one of those. It's like the fucking clowns or whatever own half the town. Like they, you know, like and and that's I think part of the commentary that's going on there. It's like you see the city that's descended such into chaos that like the illusion's gone. Like the like clearly like. You know, and it's one of those, like, think about your own society. Do a little bit of introspective, semiotic thinking about this. But, like, when the cops and the literal biker gangs that exist, like, they they exist seemingly. They're not robbing people. They're not running drugs. I think they're just kind of there to cause chaos. Like, when they are on the same level as the literal enforcers of the law, like, uh, yeah, no, bad, bad society, bad bad problem not good um and and such that like the two heroes at the end are like the kind of a shitty leader of a bike gang like again like i said kind of kind of a doofus he's like a total he's like a lech like he spends the entire movie like he is not i think it's it's both kind of hilarious also a thing i was thinking about if they do remake this movie in live action, I'm like, the one thing that they're definitely going to do is what is, I can't even remember her name because she's not a character, but the, the revolutionary woman that he spends the entire movie chasing. I'm like, if they live action this, she's going to actually be a character. Like half the movie is going to be from her perspective. Like that is obviously the fit, like the quote unquote fix. I think you would do to this movie. And I do think that it's a problem with the movie. Like, it is a little weird that your one female character is just a nothing. Like, right. she's not a character. 
she exists solely to be something that like Canada chases so that he can get wrapped up in the plot further. Um, but like, yeah, your two like ostensible heroes of this fucking movie are a literal biker gang leader who is a school child <laughs> who's like fucking 14 right. years old or whatever. And he's like a goofus and a lech. And like the other hero is a like authoritarian military colonel. And like, those are your defenders of humanity. Jesus Christ, like not doing well, folks. Because, yeah, I mean, the more you think about it, the more you're like, actually, like so much of this makes so much sense. Like it is an extremely, it's an extremely prescient kind of like observation on a lot of like modern society and modern government. And the thing is, is it gets that way by being hyper specific you know what I mean? We're like, in, yeah. like, again, to go back to the Blade Runner example, it's kind of just like, they don't give you much. They're just like, uh, yeah. And, um, and then, you know, we needed more labor. So we made robots and then they gained sentience and then that plunged us into chaos. And now everybody lives under like the, under the corporation, but like, you know, we don't need to get into that. You just have to know that that's what happened. Whereas this like really does like, the ecosystem of this film does seem very real and very lived in the way they go back and forth between the scientists and the bureaucrats and the government. Um, It's kind of, it's very, very prescient and very, very scary, especially, I mean, especially in that first half, as you get into like the stuff with the police, you know, there are so many scenes of the police just like, I mean, it opens with an extrajudicial execution. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and I mean, it just kind of goes. And it's, and like, even the even the shitty corrupt politicians, I mean, one of my favorite little moments, because I do think that it adds, it adds flavor, and it's, you know, it's not like, because Blade Runner, like we said, like you said, everything is really unknowable, and all the evil forces that work in the world are just this kind of, I mean, they live in literal giant monoliths, but they are so monolithic and so faceless. And that's part of the reason that they're evil. Whereas like all the bad shit going on in the Akira world is really personalized. Like I like that one scene you have in whatever the fuck they're called, the Supreme Council or whatever, where like, it's not even that like all of these dudes are evil. I mean, like that one guy is very evil because he kills his, I do like the reveal of that. Like, Oh yeah. The rebel leaders also spy for the government. And then he immediately dies. Like there's uh, so funny and so scary. Um, But like, there's the one, they're all just fucking fighting. They're just ineffectual. They have come to a standstill, which uh, let me tell you, feels, uh, real prescient in in 2021 america where congress can't fucking do anything ever and hasn't been able to for a long time uh but like there's the one guy who's just like i don't know maybe we should solve the akira thing and then we should take a bunch of money and give it to the poor and everybody's like shut the we have other things to think about like shut up bernie um shut up bernie there's more stuff going on here exactly like like it's not that it is just this council of of faceless evil men it's 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 just this system that has become so 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 you know so corrupt and so ineffectual such that it has become just utterly self-dealing at the expense of everyone else right um well and i think that's a super important bit um i think that's like a super important bit in terms of what the film is going for because it's like you know obviously in a lot of american um 
dystopian where it's like okay and then the evil company took over yeah. and became the giant evil company well, and, like, and then the evil dictator happened yeah. it's like mm-hmm. a thing i love about this film is it's basically like okay but like we have to understand that when harnessing the power of god becomes yeah. like a line item on the government grocery list that you can be like yeah. okay what are we doing this here okay we got to balance the budget we gotta you know <laughs> we gotta figure out the military spending and oh also like uh, while you're at it like go ahead and harness the power of god yeah um, you know it's like it's like that i mean i think i i kind of touched on it earlier but i think the idea is that like it will always lead to that destruction yeah yeah i it's think that... oh sorry carson no no go on go on I was just going to say, I think that um, sort of to the point that you're making, Caroline, I, I, we talked a little bit about last in, in the first half, uh, what if they were to remake this movie today? And I think so much of art in general and film has lost a lot of nuance that this film has. And I think if you make this film today, especially if someone like Taika were to make it, if it wasn't yeah. made in the same style, it loses a lot of the sort of subtext and it becomes way too on the nose and exactly what you're talking about, sort of the corporation taking over or whatever. I think there's a version of this film that's released today that is much, much, much worse than the film that, you know, was released and that we watched. Right. Like I, I know, I mean, I think you're entirely correct. And I think that any, any contemporary remake of this movie is going to gloss over so much of that. And I think that's a lot of what makes this movie important and special. And especially too, like, I mean, it's a really bleak, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of amazing work being done in film right now, but also, I mean, Amazon is trying to buy Paramount. Uh, Disney just bought 20th Century Fox you know um like universal is now a an extension of comcast which you know i mean like a lot of these places have always you know bounced around and been sold by like but like they're all of these film companies who have the power to make this movie are not gonna probably want that i mean it's gonna kind of be like you know i mean i i like a lot of what's going on in in Marvel movies, like, you know, I mean, we've, we've talked about it. I'm not, I've soured on the Marvel movies a little bit over the past few years. Um, and, but like, you know, it's, if you remade this movie, it would be about, you know, like, it would be like a remake of this, an American remake of this movie would be, you know, how Thor Ragnarok is about colonialism. You know what yeah, I mean? It's like, yeah. it's like, well, okay. Like, yes, like fine. Like you're right. It doesn't really, you know, that's kind of like the set dressing on the movie, on the fun, silly, goofy space movie. You know what I mean? It's not really like digging its heels in and like exposing, you know, colonialism for what it is. It's kind of like, oh yeah, like that's kind of the lesson they learned. Like the lesson they learned is kind of like colonialism is bad, but also, you know, and and I think that's what you would get with this is you would get a very sanitized version of if an evil government got hold of ultimate power, like it could destroy the world. 
look at yeah, all I, of our amazing, impressive visuals of these bikes, like, zipping through the streets. That's my, like, I don't get why you would have... Okay, I... And this is this is just speculation at this point, but, like, the idea of Taika Waititi, and I fucking, I said it in the first half, I fucking love Taika. I love Thor Ragnarok. I fucking, I love what we do in the shadows. I just watched Hunt for the Wilder People. That thing rules. I like Jojo Rabbit a lot. I like Taika. He's one of my favorite boys. I don't, wh- why would, I don't know why he would be the guy you get to do this movie. I, I don't, I, I don't get it. Like, maybe he's got a pitch. Like, maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was, he was the guy, you know, they went to the three other, three other people and they all said no. And so he's the one who happens to be attached right now. But like, I don't, like, okay, look, hey, you know what? We've, we've got an American remake of this movie. It's called The Fucking Matrix. It was directed by the Wachowski sisters, and it rules. So, like, <laughs> why, like, you, no, don't remake this movie. It would be bad. I don't, right. it would be bad. Like, why, why would you do that? There's no purpose. Right. And, I mean, that's the thing, too, is, like, people, people forget how, people forget how dense the matrix movies actually are especially oh, yeah, the first fuck. one like two oh, and yeah. three were all kind of on the same page of like yeah there's <laughs> kind of they're a bit overstuffed but it's like it is that thing yeah. that like how they got away i mean one of the ways they got away with cramming that much in is because it just fucking works mm-hmm. and like it takes you on the ride and it guides you like through this film in a way that just is extremely compelling and like enhances the shit out of it. But like, you know, remaking, like they aren't going to let somebody do that with Akira. Like if they make a live action movie, I mean, I think, I think what you're saying is a perfect example. Um, because if you let somebody remake Akira, they're not going to let you cram in all of this philosophy. They're going to be like, no, 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 no. Like we got to like the evil corporation, like show us the bikes zipping through the streets you know show us the bikes and make the team of rebels very clearly the good guys because we want the we want the thematic thrust of this movie to be very easily digestible uh make the it's it yeah. sounds it sounds like what you're describing is the fast and the furious movies. oh my god in a way it's not a one-to-one <laughs> comparison but it's not imperfect. get you hey you know what get james wan to do it get fucking james wan to do it have him direct it big yeah, action mean, set pieces yeah and i mean like honestly like i i don't think that's entirely like entirely off base i think that's what that is the worst case scenario is that it's it is a fast and furious movie and i love the fast and furious movies as well documented on this show but it's yeah. like you know it's like okay it's the fast and furious but they're on bikes and also like they've harnessed the power of god but <laughs> also there's a a young boy with a robot battle arm who's blowing up tanks that's also happening yeah and it's like you know i mean i think that that is what i think we would end up with something a lot closer to um the fast and the furious uh than we would the original Akira. So bad idea. No, no good. Yeah, Nobody, bad idea, don't, don't do, do it. not try. Do no try. Bad idea. Do not do. You already fucking did Ghost in the Shell, and we all know how that turned out. Yeah. Just, just don't. Just don't. What if, what if they got Johansson to play Tetsuo? <laughs> uh, she can do anything. She, she can, do, can anything. do anything. She can play an AI. She can play a Japanese woman. 
She can do anything. Uh, Person, do you have, I mean, this is one of those movies that, I mean, I could talk about this movie the 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 broad strokes that we have outlined about this yeah, movie sure. are are very much why I enjoy it, why I am infinitely fascinated by it, um, and can just watch like honestly can just watch it like fifteen minute chunks of this movie by itself. Like you can pick any fifteen minutes out of this movie, and I'll watch it. And be like, damn, that was pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool, um, pretty cool. Like the broad strokes of this movie that we've outlined are why I think it's so incredible. But I mean, I could go on for hours about how they you know about just like examples of all of the stuff because it's an extremely well realized like work from start to finish um but i think that's pretty much without getting nitpicky and be like well like if you look at this shot that's how this shot establishes you know whatever yeah um i'm i think i'm about finished do you have any final thoughts or anything yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, exactly the same thing. This, well, I said it at the beginning, this thing is like really artistically whole. It is, it's one of those, mo- I don't know if I've ever described this phenomenon exactly, but like, I know that a mo- like, usually I understand why a movie is iconic or why it is a touchstone in a genre or has lasted for so long. I'll have this feeling sometimes of like, as I'm watching a movie, every minute that goes by, I go, I can't like, it feels like I can't remember a time in my life when I hadn't seen that minute of film, you know, like it just, it is, it's so instantly sears itself onto your brain and everything that happens seems exactly like the thing that should happen right? because it is so artistically whole because it is such a perfect expression of itself. And like, that is what this is. And I, I, you know, is it, is it my favorite movie that we've watched this season? No, I don't think it is. Uh, But like, yeah, it's, it's, it's fucking, it's, it's a Colossus. It is a, a, like, I get it. Like, yeah, it's great. Like I, yeah, it's great. Good movie. Good flick. I like, you should watch it. I'm, I look, I look forward, you know, here's my final review. I look forward to like finishing my fourth watch of this in a few years and being like, oh yeah. It's having okay. a lot of it really sink. Like in, yeah. I, yeah, like I get, I fucking get this movie. Like, you know, it is in me now, you know, I look yeah. forward to that. Well, awesome. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think everything you just said is correct. So I'm glad, I'm glad you got that from watching this because <laughs> this is, I mean, you know, we talk about it a lot. Like the problem with the premise of our show is sometimes you can just be so blown away that you're like, I, I, I don't I'm, know. Like it's I'm just, like, I'm overwhelmed right now. I'm processing. Yeah. So like, I'm, I am very glad that, you know, you were able to like talk about that today. Yeah. So um, I think that's all I really have for the moment. Producer Corey. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. One more, oh. last thing to say, last thing to say. Uh, cool, cool jackets. Like, like the jackets. Oh, yeah, very cool jackets. Cool, very cool, cool jackets. jackets. <laughs> cool jackets all around. With that, um, I think that's most of the, uh, the stuff that I have to say. So, Corey, producer Corey, uh, do you want to f- tell the lovely people what they can do to help out our show and where they can find us and all of that good stuff? If you like what you hear, please be sure to like us and subscribe wherever you stream your podcasts. Leaving a review also really helps out the visibility of the show. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at pod. And a very special thank you to our patrons, Caitlin Matthews and Nihar Fodke. If you'd like a shout out on the show and bonus content, head over to our Patreon 
patreon.com slash hhynspod. We have multiple levels, all with their own perks, ranging from $1 to $25 per month. As I said, if you're interested in hearing more, please visit patreon.com slash hhynspod. Yeah, and I'm I'm truly not just saying this because it it gets me money if you sign up. Um, I am really excited for a lot of the stuff we have coming up on Patreon. Um, yeah, it's it's gonna be a good time. I mean, yeah. Um, right now we have one little bonus episode up there now. Starting in October, we're gonna begin releasing like the regularly scheduled things that you see outlined on the Patreon. So, um, you know. <sighs> There, there's say, new content at one, five, and ten. So you know, uh, whatever you can afford, we'll get you something. So I, I'm very excited. And if you listen to that first episode, it acts, I think, as a teaser more than we intended it to as a teaser for the Patreon. Because in the midst of it, we discovered like, oh, we're gonna do Patreon episodes <laughs> about like two things. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. But yeah. So um. I think that's all we got on Akira this week. Um, Carson, what are yes. we what are we doing next week? Ooh, uh, uh, much like those bikes, we're gonna do a uh, we're gonna take a hard right turn. Uh, so next week, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist. Uh, so next week, uh, uh, we are leaving. We are leaving Japan. Uh, we are going to Europe, and we are going to have a lovely a lovely day there. Uh, we're going to be watching the romance film before sunrise one of my absolute favorites i am i'm very excited um i will feel like much less of a hack on film twitter once i have oh yeah oh you you think you feel like a hack i hadn't seen akira (laughs) (laughs) that that lost me um, a lot of a lot of a lot of goodwill in the rooms full of nerds that i frequent well now you will not have that problem any longer and um thank you guys so much for listening um and we will see you guys next week when we talk before sunrise thanks y'all